It's time for Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And here is your host, Inside Towers business editor, John Celentano. Hey everyone, glad you could join us. Uh, This Tower Talks episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant transactions, and more. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. The 2023 Volume 1 issue is out now. For more information or to subscribe, visit insidetowers.com intelligence. A couple of data points to frame today's discussion. There are over 5.9 million commercial buildings in the U.S., according to the Energy Information Administration's Commercial Buildings Energy Consumption Survey, that's part of the Department of Energy, an off-sited wireless statistic attributed to the former AT&T Antenna Systems Group is that roughly 80% of all mobile voice and data calls originate or terminate inside buildings. With so many buildings and structures of various shapes and sizes, there's a massive challenge for mobile network operators and building owners alike to ensure that wireless signals can be transmitted and received inside these buildings. But getting wireless signals inside buildings can be tricky and the costs high. Joining me today to talk about what's involved in designing and installing big in-building wireless systems are Ryan Hansen, President, and Eric Hudson, Vice President of Engineering at Ontivity's Mountain Wireless Construction Business Unit. Ryan, Eric, welcome to Tower Talks. Hey, John, how are you doing? Thanks for, Thanks for having us today. Appreciate it. Uh, Ryan, why, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Mountain Wireless and, and the Ontivity family of companies and you know, roughly the size and scope of your operation? Sure. So Mountain Wireless, uh, as you mentioned, is one of the Ontivity family member companies. Uh, we're located in Denver, Colorado, covering... A lot of the Rocky Mountain region, but also a little bit further, you know, into the West. Uh, we have had some projects uh, in even into California, but uh, our physical size of our office here is approaching 100 technicians right now. Uh, about half of those dedicated to in-building, uh, which is you know our topic of discussion today. Uh, and then uh, kind of makes up our team it, a little unique that we are, you know, construction, you know, primarily. But we do have a A&E team uh, that supports our construction, as well as an RF services team, which is led by Eric Hudson, that also supports our operation and all the other Ontivity family member companies. How long have you guys been at this? So we started uh, kind of at the onset of wireless telecom. Uh, Mount Wireless has been around since 1997, uh, but my dad uh, was had started in the industry, you know, even before uh-huh. that. Um, and, uh, and yeah, just, uh, you know, organic growth throughout the years and keep it going. There you go. Good. Well, look, why don't you, why don't you uh, share with us some of the, um, some of the more interesting in building wireless projects that, uh, that you've handled and, um, you know, may, maybe talk some specifics about the challenges and, and the outcomes of, uh, of such an application. Sure. You had mentioned earlier some of the stuff you you know about commercial buildings and things uh-huh. like that. Of course, uh-huh. a lot of the in-building work we do has to do with commercial buildings. Uh, you know, we, we kind of think of by industry. If we think of the health industry, healthcare industry, you know, there's hospitals that we have you know designed and built 
uh, in-building systems for hotels, another one. Mm-hmm. Um, airports, you know, travel is another good one. And then, yep. you know, just noble ones, though, you know, ones people really like to talk about are the sporting venues. Uh, for right. us, it include all the venues here in Colorado, um, you know, baseball, football, arenas. Um, and then, you know, then there's some unique ones that people don't think about. And those are some of those uh, indoor, outdoor venues, like concert venues. Uh, so for us, you know, one of the normal ones that a lot of people would know would be Red Rocks Amphitheater. Uh, that's a pretty unique space, uh, pretty unique venue, really. Uh, that's that's one that we've been intimately uh, involved in uh, over the course of, gosh, by the past, mm-hmm. I don't know, eight years, Eric, right? Um, yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's really our portfolio is actually pretty vast when you kind of look at, you know, what we what we do. Uh, some other ones are, you know, if we think about the Colorado Mountains, a lot of ski resorts. We have had a lot of involvement in most mm-hmm. of the ski resort um, networks in our market. Um, I don't know. What am I missing, Eric? I think you pretty much covered it. Uh, basically, anywhere that a traditional sell site has a hard time serving a customer. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where we come in and we've been fortunate for the opportunity to, uh, to really provide that service in a lot of unique places within our market. Right. Yeah. I didn't want to mislead any of our listeners. The fact that I mentioned commercial buildings, but we're talking about any kind of structure, mm-hmm. like you mentioned airports, um, sports venues, um, um, malls that have a lot of traffic, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we know that the, the carriers are interested in doing something themselves in these biggest venues because of the traffic. But as we get farther down, there's other players involved uh, that own and operate the systems. Is that right? Yeah, that's accurate. Right. So some of these, like like you had mentioned, some are, are definitely carrier driven uh, spaces or, you know, buildings. And then there's a whole other side of that, which is the the owner or, you know, owner partner and, and they have, they have a need or a requirement that they, you know, they want to provide to, you know, whether it be their residents or the users of the facility. So it, it does really kind of come from both the carrier driven and enterprise driven, mm-hmm. uh, you know, two, two different sides of in building, you know? Yeah. Do you, do you consider these, groups to be your customers? I mean, uh, how would you characterize your customers in a, in a particular application? Are they the carriers? Are they the building owners? Are they somebody in between? You know, all of all, the above. All of the above, right? <laughs> so, yeah, I think primarily for for um, mountain wireless activity, majority of our work is carrier-driven work. We, we certainly have been involved in other ones that weren't carrier-driven. Um, but majority of what we're seeing um, is is our carrier driven projects. Yeah. So give us give us an idea when you you you're presented a project how how you approach it first. Obviously, there's a a design component. You have to figure out you know wh- where the coverage is needed, how to how to get the antennas and wiring there, how to how to fulfill that coverage requirement. But uh, it, just kind of give us an idea of the process involved and. In and and to how you how you decide what system is appropriate? Go for it, Eric. <laughs> All right. So um, yeah, so that that question covers a lot of ground. So um, it's there. There are defined processes, generally speaking. Um, but of course, the, the beginning of uh, of any one of these processes is to define and to, to define and then quantify a need. Um, so 
the, the first opening step of a process would be to uh, identify a, a location, a venue, um, and this on the carrier side or on, on the, uh, uh, the venue side, uh, venues know their needs as well. Uh, so once we, once we have identified uh, what is needed where, then we'll quantify that with some, uh, some field testing uh, of the existing mm. service level. Um, and then from there, uh, we have, we've gathered enough information at that point in time uh, to determine that a design objective. Uh, so if, uh, if service is poor or capacity is poor, uh, we now have, uh, have in place an objective of how, what we want to improve it to uh, from there. We, uh, we begin to create uh, digital models of uh, facilities or indoor mm. spaces and uh, estimate the, the propagation performance of an RF environment uh, when we build a, a system to, to fit that space. Um, that's where uh, selection of, of the specifics of how we, uh, how we serve that new space are, are made, those selections, those decisions are, are made. Um, and then from there, that's that's where we hit the point of uh, budgetary and contractual considerations, um, and then proceed from there uh, next to construction, implementation, uh, integration, turn up, and 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 then service service launch. Mm -hmm. it, it, selection of the type of system that you ultimately put in. Um, I'm thinking, you have options, right? You have DAS, some kind of distributed antenna system. Small cells have come into the discussion from time to time. You know what? What kind of uh, determinations do you have to make to decide which which fits better where? So probably one of the major uh, questions that we'll have to ask is is who are we serving uh, with respect to uh, carrier or the, the owner of of spectrum or the or the service provider? Mm -hmm. um, so if we're, if it's if it's carrier driven or expected to be carrier uh, used. Uh, then, then we take input from from carriers, or the carriers will give us specific directives if uh, if they happen to be our customers for that project. Um, and but depending on the the market that we are serving, um, who all is coming to the table looking for service, um, we really uh, make bespoke decisions as to as to what kind of solution we're going to. Um, like you said, DAS. Uh, DAS is a very good solution for, for neutral hosting, for being able to provide uh, service, um, to facilitate service of multiple players right. uh, simultaneously. Right. Uh, if it's a single carrier or a single venue looking for a, a private LTE or a private network solution, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. then, then we may go towards the small cell uh, concept. And, and a lot of just a, a myriad of technical decisions are, are, are addressed um, to, to really fit that solution. So even we, we always say that even if you have uh, two buildings that are right next to each other, identical footprint, far, part, of a, uh, um, part of a cookie cutter campus, uh, those two buildings will still not have the same solution. Um, it's it, in-building solutions just don't scale. So we have, to, we have to consider them all independently. That's interesting. Um, it, it it, so when you encounter situations like that, I mean, basically what, I mean, the whole objective here is to get the carrier signals inside the building, right? Um, either single carrier or multi-carrier, right? Um, we're seeing or hearing more about use of CBRS and more of a neutral host model that uh, um, utilizes the CBRS frequencies and then from the the core, the hub of that private network or that in-building that you're connecting to the 
um, carrier networks. Uh, have you run into that? Um, are you seeing more of that? We see some. Uh, so there are a number of locations within a network that, that we can make a handoff uh, between a, a neutral provider and, and a carrier specific one. Okay. Um, and, and one of the things that CBRS and, and, and other things in private private networks have, have afforded uh, users of those networks is the ability to, to control their data, control uh, mm. whose network it traverses. Um, but still, uh, those networks architecturally are very similar. Mm -hmm. um, CBRS uh, is, is been most useful in the in-building space, at least as, as we've seen it, um, due to some limitations, some, um, so, some legal and power limitations uh, that restrict its value outdoors. Hmm. That's interesting. I wasn't aware of that. Uh, I guess the, it all has to be coordinated with the SAS in terms of the frequency allocations and who may be interfering with whom. So, uh, and power yep, levels yep. too, I guess, too. Yep, yep. Every single radio device, every single emitting device um, is, is specifically defined to the mm -hmm. SAS mm -hmm. and then also, uh, also limited. So, uh, in in market licensing spaces where uh, where uh, a, an owner of that license manages uh, all aspects of that license, uh, they don't have necessarily the same restrictions uh, that have been placed on other spectrum that are shared, and and really that's just to do a better job of uh, of democratizing that spectrum and making right. sure that uh, one user doesn't just. Uh, over overbearingly cover uh, spaces where they, they shouldn't. And then also just, it makes it, it makes the determinations of the SAS a little bit more uniform, uh, a, a couple fewer variables that they've got to work for. Right, right, good, good, good. Um, you know, these systems are certainly evolving and have evolved over time. I mean, but um, you know, there's certain, you know, RF design considerations haven't changed significantly the tools have, but the RF itself hasn't changed that much, right? But what do you find, uh, you know, is sort of the, the biggest the biggest hurdle that you run into more, more often than not when you take on a new project? Well, um, truly uh, every, every single one is new. And like you said, a lot of the design considerations haven't changed, but uh, as we've moved from, uh, from 3G UMTS or CDMA, uh, to 4G and the LTE, mm -hmm. that, that was a major shift. Um, and a very similar shift has occurred in the 5G space. Um, so while the, the concepts don't change, uh, the channel structure does, um, and a lot of the, a lot of the parameters that, that we've gotten grown accustomed to in, in one technology, um, we've got to translate those into the, to the next technology and then account for a, a significantly more complicated network design. Um, it's, it's really, it's been an interesting uh, progression over time. And, and one of the major ones was, uh, was shifting from uh, from the, the sub six gigahertz, the FR1 space up into millimeter wave uh, mm. that, that changed the that changed the fundamental thinking of of how we build these networks and right. what it really did is uh, those millimeter waves are uh, they operate very differently they yeah they operate very differently in an indoor space uh, they're just not what we're used to so hmm. uh, I consider it much more uh, like how you would consider designing a, a 
a lighting system for a facility as opposed right. to an RF system that goes through walls uh, much more readily. That's interesting. Good. Are you start? Are you seeing more um, inclination to use millimeter wave, um, or is is that just uh, another tool in the toolbox, as it were? It, it has become more of a tool in the toolbox, uh, mainly for the purposes of uh, of cost. Uh, so uh -huh. millimeter wave, given that it 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 you, if you consider it more like a light bulb in a room, you can't cover the next room over with that millimeter wave signal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so we found that that cost has been significant in, in deployment of those types. Uh, so we really only see those uh, in places where the carriers want to provide the the absolute greatest capacity uh, and instantaneous gotcha. throughput, uh, because gotcha. the bandwidth is just so much so much greater. Um, but we've also just found that uh, you know the carriers have budgets as well, and uh, they they don't. In building is already expensive. Um, it's it's harder to do in millimeter waves. So we we kind of watch the ebb and flow occur uh, mm -hmm. throughout the industry. Can you give us a, a ballpark on? And I've I've seen metrics in dollars per square foot, but can is there a kind of a rule of thumb or a, a, as far as what the cost of a system might be? And you're shaking your head, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> it's all over the it place. Is, it is so variable, right? Uh, and it's a lot of what Eric said. It's it's the design considerations. I mean, so like Eric said, for building for a large venue for capacity, you know, it's going to be a mix of millimeter wave, uh, which which Eric said can you know has extra expense to the carrier, and and, and maybe a mix of traditional DAS to go with it. So now we're looking at kind of two independent platforms, right? So so when you look at that, obviously you try to put that in a cost per square foot model, and and that you know that just doesn't work. I mean. If you want to break it down as something simplistic and it's just everyone's the same, you want to deploy, it's an office space and this office space looks like the next office space, it looks like the next office space, and we're going to use the same OEM, we're going to use the same infrastructure type, mm -hmm. sure, we could model that to a, a price per square foot, right? Okay. But but it is really variable, you know, and, and you know, just they're in the complex systems. You, you yeah. get into, uh, even though, a say, a hotel seems like it, it would be very similar to a commercial office space. You know, well, it's just not really the same because you could have a hotel that has an underground parking garage that needs coverage. Yep. You have larger spaces within hotels, you know, which, which are these ballrooms and lobbies and things yep. like that. And the design criteria just all of a sudden looks so much different from, from a commercial office building, right? And in, in, in that variable alone, you know, can can add its own challenges with, with routing and electrical needs and location of antennas. Mm -hmm. you know, just, it can really just, whatever that cost model you had in your head is, you know, that, that could change uh, immediately, you know, just, just off of a few little uh, design elements. Yeah, I thought Eric's comment earlier about you could have two identical buildings side by side and, and the design mm -hmm. requirements between the two of them can be completely different. Yeah, so that, that's very, very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's other things that Eric, you know, like Denny mentioned, you know, like you could have macro dominance on the outside of the building, which impacts yep. the design of that office building. And yep. we have two alike office buildings side by side. Well, one of those is naturally going to be closer to that macro. So mm -hmm. the macro dominance is, is much higher and just in that one building. So sure. you, know, you got to take that into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, the buildings now with, uh, uh, energy energy saving oh, yeah. windows you know all of a sudden you don't get those same signals coming in like they used to right, right? 
That's right. Which, which that's, that's a great thing. It's actually, um, it's much easier to design in, in a space and, and control for that variable. Uh, we, we love to see low E glass, uh, partially for its, you know, for its energy efficiency anyways, but also, uh, we don't have to deal with near as much macro intrusion. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine has a company, they sell, um, 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 coatings that go over windows and, and one product he had, I, I think they've renamed it, but it used to be called dash shield. So if you didn't have a, uh, you know, an, an E-rated window, you could, you could code it. And all of a sudden now you, you, you get a clean environment from an RF perspective inside because you're, you're shielding the, the outside signals from coming in and messing up your design. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, you know, when you're inside one of these structures and you, you're pulling cable and you're putting antennas, I mean, is that, is that the longest part of the, the, the cycle to deploy or, uh, or the most costly, or how would you characterize that, uh, Brian? I, I always like to say that every good, you know, every good design, you know, when we get into construction, it, it, it starts from all the, the due diligence and all the work you've done before construction. I think a lot of times that's the hardest part of these is, is making sure that, that you have a very good RF design uh, and one thing I always say too, which is, is, is how we operate is not just having our design that's an Ivy wave, but being able to take that to the next level and turning that into a buildable set of construction drawings, you know, and, and that's why earlier, that's why we have an A&E team that supports us because when we try to hand it off to construction, we want it, you know, as, as plug and play as possible, right? right. As right. as possible. And I feel like we owe that to our customer too, because you know, pricing is generated out of this, right? So we have a very good set of CDs, not just an RFIB wave, you know, it allows us to get to more accurate price for install. Mm -hmm. uh, and then it makes for our technicians, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a more speed to market. You know, when we get on, on site, our, our RF team and our A&E team have already vetted the project, you know, and we try to eliminate all those gotchas along the way. So when you get into construction, it really simplifies the construction. So mm -hmm. it's as big and it maybe as difficult as the construction component seems. I I still stand on the fact that it is, it is the hardest part of this is really that design in A and E phase. Gotcha. Now Eric also has a challenge too on the back end, right? Making sure that everything that was built, you know, he always has to validate it, making sure we did our job. Yeah. Uh, so there's that component too. But so Eric might have a little bit different take than me on that. <laughs> Well, I, I would say I pretty much mirror you. Um, the construction environment, obviously, there it's it's varied and complex, and we have venues who are uh, very sensitive to uh, to our intrusion into spaces. Um, you know, these spaces aren't empty in yeah. most cases, yeah. Uh, yeah. so th that is a real component. However, like Ryan said, it's the environment we control the most. Um, mm -hmm. You know, some of the longest leads uh, are the parts that we don't really do, uh, our side acting contracts. Um, and, and then after that, uh, you, 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 you control your own destiny. And, uh, and we do a lot, of, a lot of really good due diligence on the front end, on the paperwork side. Um, and then just construction moves smoothly as expected. Of course, there's always supply chain and materials, logistics and uh, uh, human resource and all mm -hmm. of those things. Mm -hmm. um, but, but those are all tangibles and, yep. and we, you know, with practice, that's, that's our favorite part. It's just the part that, that we can leverage and execute pretty well. Uh, this is great. 
I'd like to wrap up. Any concluding thoughts or any points we might have glossed over that you would like to highlight before we close it up? Not so much, just really that, you know, important to remember that DAS is just another component of the overall network uh, and really just proud of our team uh, that works on, you know, all these systems day in, day out. Uh, so how can the interested parties find out more about activities in building wireless uh, engineering and construction services? Sure. Uh, you can go to the Mountain Wireless website, which is mountainwireless.com. You can also go to ontivity.com where you can connect with all five of our family member companies. Uh, that includes, of course, Mountain Wireless, uh, Intertech Resources, CMS Wireless, Legacy Telecommunications, and ET Tower. Great. Well, thanks, uh, Ryan. Thanks, Eric, for your perspectives and the work that you do uh, to keep us all connected. And thanks to everyone for listening in. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. 